Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code BOOM to get $30 off your first month. That's BOOM. Talkspace.com slash BOOM. B-O-O-M. You are Locked On Cavaliers, your daily podcast on the Cleveland Cavaliers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Locked on Cavaliers podcast. Joining me today is Jared Weiss from Celtics Blog and CLNS Media up in Boston. Jared, how's it going, man? It's You know, I'm just happy to be back home in my own bed and to not be at the queue anymore because I think I've spent like 50 <laughs> hours in the last three days in the queue, which is a great arena, by the way. That was my first time there, and I absolutely love that arena. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a good. I think it's like a solid reader. What did you think of? What do you? I mean, compared to Boston, like what is the what is the setup like in the tunnels for as far as getting to and from post game pressers goes? I'm always curious about this. I've I've only been to, um, a call like two three arenas as a media member. So I actually until last night's game was going the wrong direction to get to the locker rooms the entire time. So I was so frustrated by how far the locker rooms were because it's it's a giant circle. It turned out I had been leaving and going the wrong direction the entire time and walking essentially all the way around the stadium to get there. So I finally figured out the right way and found it actually isn't that bad. I felt the Celtics, the Celtics layout's really easy because you literally walk straight out of the media room, and then at the end of that hall is all the locker rooms. So it was a little bit easier to figure out and navigate than the Cavs stadium was. But the arena itself I thought was really great. There's a lot of really cool amenities and stuff like that. So if you're a if you're a fan, and especially if you're like a well-paying fan, there's a lot of really cool amenities there, like nightclubs and stuff like that. The uh, the With the Cavs, I don't know if you like noticed um... – the because you were there for game you were there for game three when the the Cavs obviously lost and the the fan incident uh, happened did you do you oh. know I mean like that bar like it, it's very weird um it, it's a very weird thing that LeBron would never really go out that way like he when he does his post game obviously he's going to do it in his locker which um is in like the corner of the Cavs locker room uh, kind of right by the training room and he's almost never going to go out that way like for that to, to happen and where that bar is it's like a very interesting location for a bar like I get it from the Cavs perspective and the arena perspective because like you it gives you fans easy access from when they leave their premium seats to go right there but it's just like a funny like the way it's set up now it's they almost have to walk by like a group of fans who've probably been drinking a lot to, to get to where the the playoff media setup is yeah, I just remember, uh, I think it was CSN and Abby Chin, who's a Celtics uh, sideline reporter, 
she like ran into the press conference. She's like, LeBron just got in a fight with a fan. It was crazy. <laughs> and I know, I know Wendy had uh, all the details on it, but the fact that that fan had the balls to say, screw you. I played in college. I'm a, like, what do you got on me, LeBron? Yeah, shots that to was Hiram incredible. College. Shots to Hiram, yeah. to Hiram College. It's a D, that's a D3 school. Uh, very small. Like, you know, it's 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 a very interesting place to, <laughs> to come from and be like, yeah, LeBron, I got something on you. Yeah, and I'm like, what is LeVar Ball doing at this game? <laughs> oh, God. Look, if, LeVar, if LeVar, Ball, LeVar Ball ended up at a Cavs game, I'm, like, pretty sure, like uh, – Kyrie would like talk some ish, but um, what we've seen the last sure, couple, yeah, go ahead. I was saying, I'm sure Lavar would say that my boy, even my youngest son, could probably take you on right now, LeBron, and take you to work. So yeah, and then you have the LeBron like uh, surprise, like what he did to Clay, do the the <laughs> the kind of laugh after Clay, like hear that Clay question his uh, his manhood uh, last year in the finals. But uh, the last two games have been a bit of an adventure, I think, for for both teams. Boston, of course, comes into game three without Isaiah knowing that they're not going to have Isaiah again this season. The Cavs played with little little to no effort in, in Game 3 and lose Game 3, and LeBron played awful in Game 3. Then Game 4 happens, and the first half was just kind of bonkers. Um, I was not there for this one. You were. When I was watching at home, you get the Cavs uh, down 10. LeBron gets four fouls, which is, which is kind of crazy. One of them maybe a little dicey. And the Celtics just were playing again with that energy and that, that fight that you knew they're going to have and I would expect they have in Game 5. Kyrie then has to kind of keep them in it at the end of the first half. What What is the vibe in the arena like when you're watching that first half? Well, I think people were booing, actually, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, people were, like, genuinely shocked. You know, that was the team that you saw in the first half from Boston. That is, like, that's the Boston Celtics core identity. Uh, weak side motion actions never really know which guy is going to be the guy that gets the ball at the end of the day. You know, the Celtics, they usually use unpredictability as their advantage. They all, It's like almost as if their lack of top-level talent can be an advantage for them at times, which is a credit to their coaching. And I think their, their coaching staff and Stevens has gotten as much credit and accolades as they possibly can, considering the fact that they're down 3-1 in the series. Uh, it's a real testament to him. But the... What I loved about what the Celtics did was they came out starting Kelly Olynyk, which is something that so Stevens, you know, p- people constantly complaining in Boston about why is Amir Johnson still starting when he clearly doesn't have the legs anymore? Why are you know why why are they starting the good bench players Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Kelly Olynyk? And the answer that I've always been able to coax out of Stevens is essentially that he prefers it to stick with his rotations. And that that, four, that fifth starter isn't as important as being able to utilize his rotations the way that he wants to, so that he can use Olenek in you know against the right matchups. Because you know as we all know, Kelly Olenek, someone who came into the league with a lot of promise as a really good post player, is really only able to go into the post against guys that are half his size. Which has been I still don't understand how that's happening at this point <laughs> in his career. Yeah. But so the fact that they started him against Thompson and love mind you two guys that are having fantastic defensive series. I mean, both, especially Kevin love, Kevin love who will get buried in this game because of what Kyrie LeBron did. I thought he was almost equally impressive mm-hmm. in this one. His defense was phenomenal. The 17 boards, the passes are incredible, but the way that they were using misdirection actions in actually tight spaces to get Kelly Olynyk really nice reverse looks and stuff like that early on, that was like that was like a point where I feel like LeBron probably had to look at it and be like, 
Jesus Christ, these guys are actually capable of out-coaching us to the point that they really could beat us, and this is a real serious competition. And I think at that point, that's when he started to really press, and that's how he got into foul trouble. And, you know, I would say – I didn't agree with the one where he landed in Marcus Smart's airspace because he landed down there late, and it didn't really – it wasn't like a risk to Marcus Smart. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the Rogier one, I guess, was more legitimate. I'm trying to think of the other one that was controversial. But, you know, he probably should have really had three fouls on four fouls there. Um you know, it, it, he was he was over aggressive, and he finally figured it out in the fourth quarter. You know, Kyrie and this the whole thing that I was really focused on last night was basically how Kyrie is this balancing force that is always in play whenever LeBron is off of his equilibrium, which is obviously extremely rare. He's the best player in the game, maybe the best player ever for a reason, but the have Kyrie is that stabilizing force. It's why they're so great now, and that's why they're capable of repeating this year. Yeah, Kyrie. I think that that second quarter, how he, we, we you you've seen this, like, and I and I think everyone that's watched this team all year has seen this. They've struggled without LeBron on the floor, and that's of course not surprising because LeBron James is freaking LeBron James. But Kyrie holding them steady in that second quarter was huge. How well he played in the second half again when he and how many he finished with a new career high in, in points in a playoff game with forty two was great. And I think you're right about Kevin Love. He in this series. From the very first time they ran a uh, the, the Boston ran a pick and roll and he had to defend it and each him and Kyrie combined to chase Isaiah into a corner in Boston, he's been really active on defense and energetic and that has been a really big thing and I think I, I don't know that this is like a perfect comp for what he did in Game Four, particularly after his shot after he still stayed involved and stayed active after his shots weren't falling, but I think he's a guy who right now is playing the best basketball he's played with the Cavs. And his his he's kind of fitting in a role that is the closest we've seen to Minnesota Kevin Love, and that's like a really interesting development, especially as they head into a series where, for the third straight year, his fit in that series is going to be is going to be a big question mark. Yeah, actually, I think LeBron. Oh, assuming they win, assuming they win, I don't uh, want to like assume that they're I, not going to blow a three and one lead. I've I've been doing the same thing. I keep talking about it. Like when we get to the finals with this team, I'm like, wait, I have to I have to put that caveat on there. Yeah. Um, but I think LeBron actually said that he's like that like Kevin is finally back to being Minnesota Kevin, uh, either after game three or four. What I think has been great is the defensive scheme that they're using is really eliminating a big weakness for him, which has always been reading help defense and trying to stay aware of everything. Um, he is showing hard on screen, so he's running out over the screen to cut off the ball handler and make him go around. And that was something that Boston really pioneered with their 08 championship team with KG where it's actually, I, I think personally it's easier for a big defender to be able to do that than icing a pick and roll where you're basically sitting back and trying to play the gaps and try to kind of keep the ball handler contained in a little area. I think that's trickier because you're sitting deeper into the, into the, um, what do you call it to the half court mm-hmm. and you're trying to have to kind of read all the passing lanes and see everything going on. Well, when you're running out and hedging, showing hard on a screen, basically your whole thing is you basically just run out there, hit your spot to force the ball handler around you. And then you're running back, just looking for your man. You're just kind of chasing him down. So I think that's probably easier to do on a repetitive basis. And that's allowed Kevin love to kind of minimize the opportunity for mistakes defensively in the series. Yeah, I, th- I think that's dead. And I, th- and I do think Isaiah not being there makes it harder. And Isaiah not even being at 100% when he was around, I think, certainly made Love's life a little bit easier. I, I don't. I think those two things are sort of... Yeah, that might have been and, a factor. Like, yeah, like Isaiah not being super zippy, Isaiah Thomas, is, is going gonna, is gonna to impact that a little bit. Um, you wrote a piece for Celtics Blog that I would really recommend 
Cavs fans go and read. Um, it's The title of it is Poetry in Motion, Inside Kyrie Irving and LeBron James Dismantling the Celtics at Their Best. So LeBron and Kyrie both have 24 points in that second half. Kyrie, I think, was the guy really carrying them, and LeBron was great in the fourth quarter. He got kind of back to being LeBron James. Um, you had the, the Kyrie ankle twist where he just tied his, his shoe up, and people were joking that it was actually just like an in-game night commercial. Um, you just had them both <laughs> hitting these like kind of crazy shots. How do you think? I mean, what do you think? How do you after that game? More importantly than how it happened or, or when it happened, because I think that that has so much been discussed in the last couple of days. Where does where does a half like that leave the Celtics? Like, what is they outplayed? They functionally like outplayed the Cavs almost for six straight quarters, really, in, in game three and game four, and then that happened in the second half. Like, where does I know they're not. Gonna, I don't think this team's going to quit. Like, I, I never have gotten that vibe from them. But where where does that put them heading into game five? I mean, it puts them in the same position they were in in Game 3 where they saw that what what they were trying to do wasn't enough. I mean, this is totally different than what happened in Game 2. Game 2 was a no-show. Um, this is, I would say, even more shot, or more defeating than Game 2. In Game 2, it was like, all right, we just need to literally just get our crap together and we'll be, it will be competitive in Game 3. This was, we played a really good game start to finish, we being the Celtics quoting themselves. Celtics played a really good game start to finish. Um, obviously they, they definitely had some lapses and shots weren't falling as much as they, uh, were earlier in the game. Uh, but overall, you know, Kyrie Irving and LeBron James hit like, I would say eight great shots that were pretty well defended in the second half. And I mean, that, that was the difference in this game. As far as I'm concerned, I didn't really think there was anything else that really separated these teams. It was pretty much for me just that. LeBron is, you know, the Celtics in the fourth quarter, when LeBron catches a switch, this is something I was asking LeBron about, when he catches a switch, they're giving him two steps because they would rather him pull up and have more of a risk of him breaking the pull up than get around them because he's going to get a three-point play every single time. So it's almost, you're almost risking more points by letting him get by you because of the likelihood of drawing a foul and finishing. So they're giving him these pull-ups and just you know what I wrote about in that piece, I even you know I showed film examples of it. It's like Kyrie LeBron, you may think they're different players, but if you look at the tape last night, they're like they look like Harbin they were like mimicking each other out there. It was like it was mimery. It was incredible. They were doing really similar dribble moves, pulling up with the same type of rhythm. They're using their through the leg dribble to kind of slowly back down the defender where he doesn't even realize that he's backing down. And then they do a jab step, the defender gets back on one heel, and then boom, pulling up, and they were money every single time. And most of the time, they're hitting half of those shots. This time, they were literally hitting every single one of those shots, and that was the big difference. Mm -hmm. The Cavs like that, I think, are you know just in kind of an incredibly difficult team to deal with. I kind of expect them to play somewhat similar in Game 5 just because LeBron has, besides the one glaring example, you know, has had some really signature moments in Boston um, dating back to his time with the Heat most most notably in, in, you know, the first time around, the first year back in Cleveland. Kyrie, that's the best game he's played all playoffs. I think that that's a good thing for the Cavs. I mean, of course, I don't, I mean, you would know better than me, of course, but I don't think Boston is going to take this leg down, and I don't think that crowd is going to make it easy for the Cavs to get comfortable. I mean, what, do, what are you expecting out of game five. I expect a real grind out, uh, kind of like game three. 
I, I mean, I figured it's going to be just like that. I, I, I mean, I expect Cleveland to be able to close it out because mm-hmm. I expect Kyrie and LeBron to continue to perform like this. And there's something about Kevin Love being in the garden that he just loves raining threes. So <laughs> we'll see if that continues. Um, I mean, but generally Boston's three point shooting determines their destiny if they are hitting. I was saying coming into the series, they need to go 19 for 40 from three every time that they're going to win a game. And I think that's what Cleveland did. did the, is that what they did last night? Am I mistaken on that one? Or was it two games ago they did that? Uh, um, or was like, not... I mean, Boston did that two games ago. Yeah. Um, so that they basically hit that mark that that they needed to win that game. And I think that's really the only way that they win these. It's like they have to like get close to the NBA playoff record for threes to be able to beat Cleveland. Um and that was, I mean, that's how I felt with Isaiah on the floor. Now without Isaiah on the floor, you know, Marcus had that, Marcus Smart had that one great game, and then he came back for the uh, game four, and he had, he went one for five from three, and Avery Bradley went one for seven from three. So, like, you know, it's I think you can kind of clearly point to that and be like, those guys need to be able to hit those shots, which isn't necessarily like a, the Celtics aren't doing it right or there's some sort of issue. It's just, It's mostly just that, you know, they're getting their looks and they're missing them. They're not. They're not Kyle Korver. You know, they're uh, Avery's a good shooter. Marcus is an extremely streaky shooter, but when he's on, he can be very good. He has a lot of mechanical issues, which uh, I feel like I've discussed at nauseum with everybody on the team and everybody that covers the team. Um, it's a, it's a topic that takes an hour to dissect. But I mean, you know, the, I I think that these two teams have game planned very well for each other. And they match up very well with each other. They, I think they they bring some contrasting styles that are able to expose each other's weaknesses. But at the end of the day, it's like for Cleveland, it's basically like, are there big three hitting their shots? And then for Boston, it's like, are they as a team, is their aggregate three-point shooting good enough to keep up with Cleveland? Because Cleveland is going to kill them in transition. And that's where they really make up for it is by having the extra point from hitting those threes to kind of hit back at a gradual pace. Yeah, that's actually another area that I think Love was has been really good in the playoffs, and I think has made a difference. He's done a really good job of being that trailing three point shooter when a Love or when a LeBron or Kyrie is really driving the ball forward a little bit. Like that's been um, a very like interesting development for him, I think. And you you've seen it at times in this series. I mean, you I think you're right about the three point shooting though. Just as a general, like Marcus Smart, kind of like being doing like a Steph Curry impression in Game Three. Like one boss in that game in a lot of ways where like and Bradley of course needs to hit that three and it's still a really close game but like Marcus Smart hitting all the shots that he did was huge and he's not gonna like you said he's not gonna do that all the time but you need a guy like that to kind of do stuff I mean does there I mean aside from sort of the obvious candidates like the smarts the you know Bradley's gonna bring you know Horford's gonna bring it is there a guy on ball you think on Boston's team that you think has to play just in a, an insanely good game in in game five to get to get this year's to a six game back in Cleveland. Uh, well, Jay Crowder with his uh, his little groin pull there. I mean, he's it's. I mean, I don't want to be a broken record here, but like again, he needs to hit his threes. He hit his threes in game three, and that was really crucial for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, it, I mean, it's it's really just every single guy has to be hot, and then Jay's defense on LeBron has to be better. And Jay Stevens, uh, he's not he's not moving with the same speed, and he doesn't quite play with the same power on defense. And you know, no one's really—I haven't talked to anyone that's really had a clear indication as to what exactly 
why is it that Jake doesn't look like he's playing with the same control and power that he was last year? But LeBron is able to get on his hip easier than he should. And I think this is going to be the one where, and it's unfortunate because he's probably going to be dealing with that uh, with that groin, which I mean, he's probable for the game, so like, he's not going to miss it. But it's going to be probably affecting him a little bit. Um, but it's like this is like the one where he needs to like, you know, sniff some smelling salts before the game and just get jacked up like he never has been before because it's going to be on him to just really, really push around LeBron as much as possible and try to coax LeBron into t- you know making some bad moves and turning the ball over. Has this series, besides some of the the you know the injuries in Game Three, I don't think anyone really saw coming. Has this series played out how you thought it would? Yeah, I I thought that it would be a five game series with the Celtics. Um, I figured they would take one of the first two games and then they would come back to Boston. I predicted them to win that game five in Boston and then lose in Cleveland in game six, which it could still happen. So it could still play out that way. It didn't play out the way I expected it. And obviously Isaiah going down uh, changed all that. Uh, But yeah, I figured Boston would be, they would, they would be able to take one of those first two games in Boston and then they would get like really, really pushed down by Cleveland and with their backs against the wall, they'd be able to fight back one last time in Boston before the last gasp. I think that Boston has proven that when they go up against the wall, they're able to, they're able to fight back so well. That's like their whole mentality. They've been great at that, but like the talent gap here is significant enough to merit, like, like to merit it basically as like a back against the wall fight back kind of thing. Um, you know, Boston being called the fake one seed and all that kind of stuff. Like, obviously, it's over the top. They're clearly not nearly as good of a team as most one seeds are most years. They're not a bad team by any means. They're a team that gets by not on their raw talent, but basically on their system and their aggression. And getting at that level on a consistent basis in the conference finals against a team that is both talented enough to win 70 games if they really wanted to, which they obviously didn't, but also can play with the level of intensity because of who they have as their leader, because they have the most mentally capable guy in, in the game. Um, you know, it's just, it's just not enough. It's, it's really just that simple. Let, let's say the series does end in on Thursday night, ends in Boston, ends in five. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of discussion lately, and I think some of it's a little, I mean, I think a little bit crazy about Isaiah, and I think about what this Boston team is and where their timeline is. And I mean, where do, where do you think, is this series what they just kind of reasonably could have hoped to accomplish this year? Is this, is this their ceiling? I mean, when we look at, when we look back at this Cavs team and we look back at what kind of quality teams they're facing, was this, the Isaiah injury aside, of course, kind of what their best case scenario was going to be? Yeah, I mean, I thought this was what they were going to get to with Isaiah. So, you know, they're as far as the franchise development, like they still have like tons more to add to the team. So obviously, this isn't the peak for them. I think this is this is as far as they're going to get with this roster. Um, but they can add more. You know, if they if they were to add Hayward next year, I think it would be really close. I still think Cleveland would be better if you added to this team the way that they played throughout the season. Um, you know, but they they don't they don't really get consistency on the roster. I think it's been the biggest issue is Horford. It was the only cons- I'm trying to think right now. I think Horford and Avery Bradley and even Bradley has his up and downs, but those were the only two consistently effective players on the team throughout the playoffs. And even Horford's had a rough time uh, the last few games, although he was great offensively in the fourth quarter. Um, but yeah, like they don't, you know, Tristan Thompson, um, 
is like a guy that I look to. Is like the kind of guy that the Celtics really mm-hmm. want. He is every single game is a very he leaves a very clear mark on that game, and I feel like that's what Jay Crowder was doing last year, and he isn't quite doing it at the same level of consistency this year. But like that's what they really needed out of Crowder. And I think Thompson gave that to Cleveland while uh, Boston hasn't had that guy that they could point to every single game as being like the you know the unsung hero. And being the one that really facilitated and cleaned up and really kind of did all the non-star plays that they needed. And I think Boston is still seeking, you know, they're trying to do that by committee. And that puts so much pressure on Stevens and it leads to inconsistent results. But like Stevens overall has generally been able to find one or two guys that can do that kind of level of contribution. We've seen Jarebko has stepped up all of a sudden in the last few games and he's provided that inconsistently but overall i think he's provided that um you know linic gave them some of that in this game but like there's some nights where linic looks like garbage it doesn't matter the Cavs fans are going to boom relentlessly no matter what so which which has been really fun to see by the way that was really funny yeah um but you know boston is basically i think boston overall relies on brad stevens to constantly be making adjustments throughout the game constantly reevaluating what's working um and tinkering and experimenting. And the problem is he keeps having to go to Tyler Zeller, you know, and stuff like that. And like, that's, that's what really kills him. You know, he, you know, when you, like he puts in Tyler Zeller four times and like 0.75 times, Tyler Zeller actually pays off a little bit. Most of the time it goes very poorly. And this game, they put in Zeller in the third quarter and Kyrie, like he was like licking his chops. He was like, Oh my God, I can't believe they're giving this to me. Like, do they want me to beat them? It's and he just went right at Tyler Zeller and just like torched him over and over and over again. And that's where having a guy like Tristan Thompson makes Cleveland that complete complete team because like they always are confident that Thompson is going to give them a good performance. While Boston is like floundering trying to figure out who can we count on to pull it off this game, and it doesn't work a lot of the time. One of the things I'm very interested in in uh, in game in game five is Olenek did a really nice job I think of pulling Thompson away from the hoop a little bit more so than he, they were able to in, in the other games uh, like Thompson I think just had the one offensive rebound or, or one some like very small number of rebounds in the first half of that game and he wasn't quite as just dominant on the boards as he was and I think that's sort of a chance for Boston to do some damage I'm very excited for Game 5, to be honest. Like, I think, I mean, in terms of the, these playoffs, I, I don't know if you feel this way. I don't think these playoffs have been great. Like, there's Oh, been, nobody has. Like, yeah. I mean, there's been, like, a couple interesting moments of series. Um, not, really, like, really any. Like, last year, you know, you had OKC and you had Golden State. You had the Cavs and, and Raptors was fun for a, a moment there. And you had, you had some other series out west. And um, I think Boston-Atlanta was fun last year. But I think Cavs-Celtics has been one of the more interesting series. Even if it hasn't always been competitive, I think it's been a really interesting series to date. You've seen both teams have to deal with things and adjust in ways that I think is sort of has been sort of revealing about the character of both teams and the mindset of both teams. Yeah, I mean, you know, well, I've been covering the Celtics this whole time, so I've been watching really tight competitive series the entire time. Mm-hmm. Although they've been really up and down. But this Cleveland series, I think what's been great is that the the story changed. And I think there's nothing more fun about the playoffs when there's a conclusion and then you keep playing and all of a sudden it turns around. And that's what's been really fun is teams through this series out the window and then they go back to Cleveland and all of a sudden, holy crap, look at what Boston can do. And now after game four, it's wow, look at what LeBron and Kyrie can do. 
yeah, I I'm very intrigued by game five. Uh, do you, do you have a do you have a feeling if this goes six or if this ends ends in five? I mean, I think it'll end in five. I hope it does because I don't I don't I'm not up for another trip to Cleveland, so I, I'd like to get some sleep at some point. Yeah. Um, but I also want to see great basketball, so hopefully it goes seven games as far as I'm concerned. But um, yeah, I just I just don't see how LeBron's stampede is going to stop. Yeah, I, I feel like with you, I feel like he hasn't. I feel like in a weird way, he hasn't had his full on stamp on the series in a way. Like Kyrie had that game, LeBron has had some really good games, but we haven't had that. Just LeBron is ending the world game yet, and I think we might get that in Game Five. Um, I mean, just when you look ahead to the finals, and I don't want to jump. I hate jumping ahead before we actually get to that point. When you watch the Cavs play Boston and you've watched them in the series, like I mean, what do you think of them versus a team like Golden State? I'm just I always kind of just am curious of of we talked about this before we recorded. I just kind of always wonder how people that aren't kind of in in the same zone mind frame as me are kind of looking at that team. My perception of Cleveland is that they're definitely going to compete with Golden State. Um, I mean, I really like this Cleveland team. They they look better than last year. I think all their guys are more capable than last year. But their bench hasn't really produced offensively enough for me to think they would keep up with Golden State in the long run because Golden State doesn't have second units. They just have mixes of their first unit, really. It's like they always they always have one of the top five players or one of the top ten players in the NBA on the floor at all times. And, I mean, I don't know how they compete with that except for having – LeBron, you know, having a combination of two of the big three on the floor at all times, which I'm sure they can manage. But I think it'll be a competitive series, at least six games. I would agree with that. I would think... I would think it's going to get close. I, I think the Cavs just have a lot more questions to answer. Like, I, I think the way you've seen LeBron used in this series, you can't use him against Golden State that way. That's kind of my thing. Like, I don't think you can have him roam in the way he has there, and I think that's going to be a big change for the Cavs. Uh, I don't know if you saw Lou's comments that he says the Celtics are harder to plan for than the Warriors. Yeah, that was funny. Yeah. I just, that's such a troll. That's such a troll move. Like, well, I have no so, other so, than that. Well, hold on, hold on. So, I mean, I'm tr- I don't remember exactly how the question was framed, but the point that Lou has been trying to make is, and, like, this has been, like, a lot of questions have been leading on the subject. It's yeah. that... You, is that this is a new Celtics team that you've never seen before because it's always been relying on Isaiah. So how tricky is it to go up against this, like this basically this team that's like having to reshape who they are all of a sudden, which isn't really true because they're kind of just relying more on their system stuff and less mm-hmm. on the kind of like crazy ball actions that they could do with Isaiah. So like, really it's not that complicated. I mean, I'm not having any trouble really scouting the Celtics team. So I'm pretty sure Cleveland's expert NBA coaching staff isn't having any trouble with it either. So um, the I think Lou was probably trying just to make the point that there is obviously a level of unknown when you're going up against a team that lost its lost the guy that runs its offense and they're re-piecing together their offense. And I don't think he was trying to say that Boston is more complicated than Cold State because Boston is literally running a very similar motion-based system to what Golden State does, just not at the same level that Golden State can run it. But, yeah. like, their systems are very, very similar. And there's not um, there's not a Kevin Durant. <laughs> like, yeah. That's the thing. It's yeah, like, it's like 
Like, Jay Crowder needs to step yeah. it up to be more like Kevin Durant. Yeah. yeah, I mean, come on. Like, clearly he just has to, you know, if you just work hard enough at anything, you can become a, a 6'11 freak. That's the thing about the Cavs' defense that I, I have a really hard time reconciling is that, like, they're going to leave guys open, and they're certainly doing it so far in every series. They've done a lot of that by design. Like, they're letting – they're enticing certain guys to shoot. Like, they want Marcus Smart to shoot. That's why they go under every freaking screen that the Celtics set for Marcus Smart, and they, they want those guys to shoot. Like, you can't do that against Golden State, you know? Like, even if you adopt some of the defensive principles you've used the first three rounds, like, you can't go under Steph Curry screens. You can't go under, like, Durant screens. And if they go small, like, can you, you – you can go under Iguodala screens, but can you, like, really, after how he's played so far, go under Draymond Green screens? Like, I, there's just a lot of questions I have about, yes, like, you're seeing the motion-based thing Boston's doing, but it's sort of different than – um, it, it's like just that's another level, and I kind of wonder if what they're doing right now with playing Richard Jefferson over Channing Fry too is like they're just trying to use this series to get ready for that final series. Yeah, I mean, I kind of think we're going to see Channing Fry a lot more in the finals, and you know, like going back to even what we we're talking about with Kevin Love, I don't think they're going to be hedging on screens like that anymore. They're going to be, I mean, they're going to have to ice on Steph Curry because they need to be able to have the flexibility to quickly run out to the weak side because the Warriors zip the ball even faster than Cleveland does. Cleveland's going to have to be really spread out on defense. Their discipline on defense is going to be way greater. I think the difference for Cleveland going up against Golden State is much more on their defensive end than the offensive end. I don't think the offense changes that much. It's that they need to elevate the level of intensity and communication that they play with on defense and they can't be nearly as aggressive as they are against Boston. I mean, against Boston, they're hyper-aggressive. They do that against Cleveland, I mean, against Golden State, and Golden State, like, tears them to shreds fast, really fast. In Golden State, Golden, like you were saying, it's like Boston always has one or two shooters that you can settle for on the floor at all times. Golden State very rarely even has one. And even when Zaza's out there, it's like they still make it work. And, I mean... I mean, there's a reason why Golden State is Golden State. Like, trying to say, here's how we're going to defend them is basically just saying, we're just going to try to get out in front of them and hope that they miss some shots. Like, yeah. there's not there's not a way to stop them. It's literally just a way to try to limit their three-point attempts and then not let them just, like, get into the paint as much. Yeah. I mean, it's... it's I, I'm very happy I'm not an NBA coach right now trying to prepare for the Golden State Warriors because I would not sleep an hour for the next month. Yeah, and, like, media members, like, not to say that we're, like, these sleep-deprived people, but, like, we don't always sleep enough. <laughs> oh, I'm right there. I yeah. I worked from 8 a.m. yesterday until about 10 a.m. this morning, and so I, uh, I'm i feeling it. I don't know how these guys grind it out. I mean, I know they get naps and stuff during the day, but I don't know how they grind it out on a daily basis. I mean, you know, that's one thing I saw. You know, there's one thing I've found is, um, and this is my first year traveling with the team during the playoffs. It's also the longest playoff run they've had. Uh, since my first year covering when they lost LeBron in the conference finals, uh, but I wasn't traveling then. But uh, it is an absolute grind. And, I mean, I don't get to take my private uh, plane everywhere like the uh, NBA teams do. Um, and I'm staying in an Airbnb, although it's a very nice Airbnb in, in Tremont. But, um, you know, it is – the amount of work that you're putting in, it is hard to, you know, keep yourself mentally st like stable. It is – it's hard. I found points where I like, I, w I hadn't slept. I I'd slept like two hours in, in two days, and I like I was like losing composure and all that stuff. And like it's tough, 
and the amount of work that they're putting in to be able to maintain their composure and execute at that level, it's like it's really hard to appreciate that until you're kind of following them along on that path. Yeah, even just like I'm not, I haven't traveled for these playoffs, but um, I like I got home at like two thirty, three o'clock the other night, and I was just like, damn, like I still have like stuff I need to do, like I need to edit this podcast, like it, that it's just never going to lose a very interesting like figure in that. And we'll wrap it up on this because he like doesn't sleep more than five hours at a time. He's like real big. He's very big on naps, and he doesn't believe in deep sleep. Yeah, see, I don't either, but I don't get to take naps during the day. I just don't get to sleep at all. Yeah, I just end up like having like too much coffee, and then I'm just like, exactly. Yeah, and then you're just like wired, and then it's like you you just get so far down that that path that you either drink coffee or you give yourself a headache, and that's that's not good when you're gonna be like in this loud NBA arena for like five hours. Just just don't do Red Bull. That's the key. I I, I love Red Bull, and I get like addicted to it. And it's better to be addicted to the Red Bull than crack or something like that. But <laughs> It is Red Bull is so bad for you. It make it just like it destroys your circadian rhythm. You know, you can't sleep right and it just gives you these like sugar jolts that only last for an hour, then you crash afterwards. The important thing is make sure you drink coffee. Drink good coffee. And I found that when I'm drinking like good quality coffee, not like, you know, crappy like uh, you know, like convenience store coffee, like I actually feel much much better. Um, so yeah, if there's anyone else if there's anyone out here grinding away listening to this podcast, so one thing, one piece of advice we can give you from this NBA podcast is drink good coffee and don't drink Red Bull. Yeah, don't drink Red Bull. I ha- I went through a Red Bull addiction phase in college, and I felt, like, terrible. Like, you just feel, like, terrible, yeah. and you feel real jittery all the time. Um, did you go to any good coffee spots in Cleveland? That's actually my last question for you. Uh, yeah, it was um, Erie Island oh, Coffee the, Shop the right the near best. the queue. The best. Yeah, it was so unbelievably good. I had to wait like an hour to get my cup of coffee for some reason, but it was totally worth it. I had it before shoot around uh, a few times and I loved it. It was really good. Yeah. You know, coming from Boston where there's tons of great coffee places, like great food. Uh, and uh, that was that one really impressed me. So that whole little what what street is that there? That, that is East Fourth. Yeah, I yeah. love that. I went to uh, Mabel's Barbecue the oh, other man. day after shoot around. Mabel's oh, my God. That was awesome. I yeah. love I really you know, I. People obviously talk crap about Cleveland all the time, but I had an awesome weekend there. I got to see like Case Campus, Case went to the Rock and Roll yeah. Hall of Fame, which I loved because I'm, I'm a huge music person, a music history person, and it was I, I love Tupac, and they had this whole Tupac exhibit there, and that was amazing. I felt like I was a 12 year old kid, like you know, wearing Machiavelli shorts again. That was pretty cool. So I had an awesome time in Cleveland. It's a, it was definitely a really fun city. See, look, everyone out there listening that's like not from Cleveland, it's not terrible. You got it really it really isn't well i would say that from the perspective of someone who was spending most of his time covering the nba and being yeah. in the queue so i mean you know i i had a little bit more uh interesting access to the city than a lot of people do yeah i think like if you're i, I was like as, as like a clevelander like i do think you if you're in that area where you are downtown there is like a lot of access to some of the better restaurants and like it's it's walkable down there and if you get to other parts it gets a little a little different but Oh yeah, um, I saw those parts too. Trust me, the, yeah. the burned out buildings and everything. Yeah. I mean, there yeah. there's some crazy stuff there. Yeah, there's like there's only really some aspect of it, but I think if like you're working and you just have to like go eat and get coffee and stuff like, and you want to, you have time to go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and you have time to like go on the water. Like there are there are actually stuff there. It's not like this. Like people make it out to be this. Like you just need to, you have nothing to do but sit in your hotel room. Like that's not really true. I mean, for me, I'm a bit, I'm a really big like urban photographer, so I love going to these places where there's like burnout buildings and stuff like that because it's like it's like my muse basically. So yeah. I I find it all really exciting. So yeah. I I love it. Yeah, Jared, man, it's been a pleasure. 
we found out that you're a, you're a fan of the of the land, which is a terrible name. Actually, I do have one last thing I need to ask you: Was Machine Gun Kelly's half gun performance as bad as I read on Twitter? Wait, say that again. I just lost you. Was Machine Gun Kelly's halftime performance as bad as it as as bad as I read it to oh, be on God. Twitter? Uh, so I actually I had to go do a, like a Facebook Live with uh, Coach Nick at Bebop Breakdown, mm-hmm. so I missed most of it. But I walked back in the room or into the into the arena um, right as it was wrapping up, and it was him and whoever the UFC fighter was. Sorry, I don't follow UFC, so I didn't know who it was. Um, and they were just like screaming. I think they were just like screaming the chorus. And like I'm someone who loves hip hop, but I'm always mortified to go to hip hop shows because hip hop performance quality is not really something valued in the hip-hop community in general although it's gotten better over the years and this one looked like it was pretty pretty low on the scale of performance quality they're basically just like screaming the chorus over and over again um holding up the ufc uh heavyweight uh belt so yeah i don't it, it kind of looked like machine gun kelly did not have nearly as good of a performance as machine bun kelly olenic who yeah. was definitely a lot more exciting oh, that, that's a great pun that's a great pun it's a fantastic pun i love puns jared been a pleasure thanks for coming on and uh enjoy game five i'm sure one way or another it'll be uh, a great environment for a playoff series i can't wait man thanks so much for having me thank you it takes a lot to get excited about a bag but most bags can't save you 20 percent on auto parts that's 20 percent off headlamps 20 percent off oil filters 20 percent off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99 cent napa reusable bag so tell your buddies there's a bag they just have to check out quality parts helpful people that's napa know-how napa know-how at participating napa auto parts stores while supplies last minimum three items exclusions apply offer ends 10 31 17 wilson you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer avoiding a 455 meeting on everyone's calendar how did you do it i got a huge assist from grammarly an ai writing partner that helped me make my point 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.